g g g gaming. <laughs> c c c content. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everybody, I'm Steve Gaynor, and you're listening to Tone Control, conversations with video game developers. And today, I'm here with Nina Freeman, a well-known and respected indie game developer, uh, (laughs) and also one of the designers at Fulbright. We worked together on Tacoma. That's me. How's it going, Nina? Good. Sorry I laughed at my own intro. It's fine. (laughs) I mean, it is hilarious. Oh, that's my name. Um, yeah, I made ga- games and one with you. Yeah, and other people that we worked with. There's a bunch of different games that you have worked on, uh, but many of them at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> like you made multiple games while working on Tacoma. Yeah, I um, made I think four. <laughs> That's plenty. Yeah, I think that was uh, enough. Here, here's a, here's a little, just what settle down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you you made. Um, Sybil, uh, Bumrush, mm-hmm. Kimmy, and LostMemories.net yeah. all while working on Tacoma? Although, I'd say a lot of Sybil was done before That's I true. came to Portland, but, like, but you released we did like, Sybil. finish it yeah, while I yeah, was yeah. here, so a significant yeah. amount of work was done while I was sort of also learning Unity for the first time in my life. And learning like how to be a first-person level designer. Yeah. Oh my stuff. god, I was looking at my first paper master to come up the other day, and like literally the first one I ever drew was basically just like four boxes connected <laughs> to each other, just perfect squares. Gotta start somewhere. Yeah, it was hilarious. It's called level design. <laughs> um, but yeah, Nina and I have worked together for like, Two and a half ish years now. Um, yeah, it's been a while. What years? Uh, and what and what years they were? <laughs> um, but yeah, we just shipped uh, Tacoma just a couple months ago now, so um, we now shipped a game together and have had a little bit of time to reflect on it. Um, so it seemed like now would be a good time to talk to Nina about all the design stuff that you've done and all the game dev stuff that you've done. I first met you at a GDC, like, whatever, three or four years ago now, um, when you were showing How Do You Do It, which was, like, a really small game uh, that that you made kind of early in, in when you were making games um, at this event, and it really impressed me and stuck with me, and we talked about stuff a lot, and da-da-da, lo and behold, uh, you were finishing college and came more on our game, so, mm-hmm. so it's been awesome, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like you have um, a really interesting perspective within the industry because you've made a lot of your own small stuff. And then our team isn't huge, but like worked on like a bigger indie mm-hmm. project in a lot of different roles. So, um, how how did you get in? Like, were games always a part of your life since you can remember? Were you playing video games since you were like a little kid? The first games I played <clears throat> were. At the mall. Good. At the suburban mall in Massachusetts. Yeah, you, you grew the, up in, in like, northern mm-hmm. Massachusetts, right? Uh, Ipswich. Ipswich, yeah. Massachusetts. Mass- Ipswich, Massachusetts. Oh, Ishimishi. <laughs> Ipswich, Massachusetts, which is, like, 
on the east, the eastern, eastern mass. Okay. So it's like 30 minutes east of Boston, like right above the Cape. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up uh, living with my mom and like we went to the mall together a lot and she would kind of go shopping and I didn't really, I like liked shopping, but I like didn't want to just go look at adult clothes all day. Right. So I would go to toy stores, obviously, because that's what you do when you're a kid at the mall and, like, this, when I say I was a kid, I mean, like, really young, like, before I was even 10, probably. So not, like, mall rat age yet, but, like, right. pre that. And so I would go into, like, the Scholastic store and stuff before uh, we had a computer at home. And I would play, like, all their edutainment games. Oh, okay. And those were probably the first games I ever remember playing. <clears throat> and I loved those. Any Any edutainment game I was super into as a little kid. And just, like weird free games like on my friends computers like anything from solitaire to tiny like there's that cat and mouse or that mouse and cheese game oh that yeah i think it was on early like mac computers or yeah. something i played a lot of that it was like it was, it was sort of like turn-based right like you would move yeah. the, mou- the mouse and then all the other mm-hmm. cats would move yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh so mm-hmm. honestly the first games I played because like i didn't really get a console or anything like that until a little later or even a computer like they were just whatever free games I could get my hands on. Um, and, yeah, eventually I got, like, a computer and played Myst before I could comprehend possibly <laughs> what it was. And I also yeah. <laughs> have only played Myst before I could comprehend how to properly yeah. interact it, yeah. interact with it, which includes up to the present day. Yeah. I've tried to play Myst and been like, nope, too yeah, complicated. Like, <laughs> my, my brain cannot achieve this. <laughs> uh, I feel like I must have looked up on, like, Ask Jeeves. Like how to play Mist. I must have because I did play a lot of it, but I was Jeeves. I was so help. Yeah, Jeeves. How do I play it? <laughs> how Mist? <laughs> well, so so you grew up, yeah. In, is is Ipswich like a small town in in Massachusetts? Yeah, yeah, and you know, given that I was playing all those like edutainment games and whatever at the mall and stuff, like I wouldn't say I grew up like playing games a lot. Yeah, like I played them when I could get my hands on them. Um, so I feel like I didn't, I didn't have like a wild access to games actually right. until I was a little older. So yeah, it's funny because I feel like a lot of game designers I talked to are like, I've played games for my whole life. And I'm like, actually, like when I really think about it, I didn't until a little later. Yeah. But well, yeah. what were you, what were you into as a little kid? Well, like, yeah, as a little kid, like Car- uh, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Yeah. Obviously Mist. I really liked. I right, remember right. when Ribbon came out, I got it. But I mean, if you didn't really play games a lot when you were like younger, mm-hmm. what were you were, were you one of, were you like a kid that like drew all the time or like what oh, kind of okay. stuff were Uh, I watched in, in your pre-gamer life. Right. <laughs> I'm waiting for the hammering to stop. Forget the hammering. Okay. So so for for reference, we're in our office. Um, the people next door are hammering. They might start screaming a little bit, as we've heard. <laughs> also, there's a train track outside of our office, so if you hear a train gently hooting in the background, you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we apologize for the background noise. Please ignore it. <laughs> Welcome to the office. Yeah. You get to have our daily experience. Office <laughs> improvements happening right on the other side of the wall. Um, I don't think it's going to be too loud, but our apologies if it's annoying. But yeah, I guess, like... I mean, I knew you, 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 like, you were, like, a drama kid in yeah. high school, right? That but... was, yeah, that was, like, I started doing that in middle school, and honestly, before that, I just read a lot, mm. like, I read a lot of books. Yeah. Like, I remember, um, I would borrow books from, like, my grandparents and stuff, and would just, like, 
read whatever magazines my mom had around. I just, like, liked reading a lot as a kid, mm-hmm. and I was really into, like, Redwall. Okay, And yeah. so my friends and I spent a lot of time role-playing Redwall and, like, forcing our elementary school teachers to call us by our Redwall <laughs> role-play names. <laughs> Mine, I believe, was Cornflower. Hmm. Um, That's a nice name. Yeah, so, like... I was always into reading and, like, role-playing and stuff like that. Yeah. Even before I had, like... Even before I became a teen JRPG gal. Right. Know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was sort of like... It was role-playing in the sense of when you're a little kid, you just all pick characters mm-hmm. and, like, pretend to be in yeah. that world together. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That is... Me and all my, like, friends who eventually got super into games in, like, middle school and high school and stuff, role-played together, like, all throughout young childhood yeah like did you stay school. friends with those people like mm-hmm. when you were getting into more like yeah rule-based games and stuff? oh yeah yeah the actually melanie and Brittany, i've mentioned in many of my games mm-hmm. they're these twins that are like two of my closest friends yeah um and yeah we grew up playing role-playing together re- like we used to go to recess and just read Redwall together every day <laughs> like were you like reading it out loud to each other <laughs> well, no i think i think this was my idea they made fun of me for it later because they were like you know you just made us sit all during recess and read Redwall as a group <laughs> like you know like you made us do that we didn't really want to. <laughs> but they, you- they're always they're always down to do whatever stupid stuff any of us came up with that's so um, interesting that sounds like <laughs> i mean it sounds like you've been kind of like just just from those anecdotes it, it sounds like you've kind of been like a forceful person yes, your whole life sort true. of like what we're gonna do now is read redwall yeah. teachers what you're gonna do is call us these names yeah no <laughs> i was i was a little, a little asshole <laughs> <laughs> well but that's really interesting though. i mean you know you've like you know done a lot of stuff that you're kind of the driving force yeah. of and everything so yeah i always sense. like to be like i think actually the most telling example of me liking like lead stuff is that when we got really into sailor moon obviously we all picked characters like me and melanie and Brittany and these other girls and i was like i'm sailor moon and sailor mercury <laughs> so i get two characters Wait, that, just, that does just sound like you're being an asshole at that point <laughs> and the rest of you get one I think I said it in a nicer way, but I was definitely like, I am both of these characters. (laughs) But also, like, yeah, I don't know. I was just, like, into, I guess, geeky stuff in general. Um, You know. And then games came later. Yeah. When you say geeky stuff, like, you mean, like, when you were growing up, you got into, like, like... Like Sailor Moon and like manga yeah. and anime and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was watching Sailor Moon when I was really young. Because it was on, you know... Uh, what was on like Cartoon WB Network or Cartoon Network or both at it's, some point? Yeah, it was probably in syndication on like multiple yeah. channels. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. card ca- uh, card captors. I remember watching when I was really little too. Yeah. Um, I think that was on the WB. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I feel like those are probably the the two things that you're most associated with from people <laughs> who like just know you from your public persona <laughs> is like game developer anime gal (laughs) and like yeah it's it's funny because i mentioned like melanie and Brittany and how i've mentioned them in a lot of my games and like in civil for example some of the real stuff in that game is scans of our old fan art Um, and i had some scans of our old sailor moon fan art but obviously i didn't put that in the game for like copyright reasons or whatever but like those scans are actual scans from like our really like old fan art notebooks that we shared from that time that's cool uh and i like yeah i've referred to those two 
um, quite frequently yeah. in Sybil and also in like LostMemories.net and stuff. But yeah, so I have I have a long history of yeah doing that kind of stuff and like also keeping records of all of it. That's why like I feel like I'm still kind of into like Sailor Moon and anime and all that stuff because like I've just held on to it all for so long really yeah. closely. I know some people, you know, hobbies may pass by, but yeah. for me, I'm like, when I get into something, it's like, I'm really into it now forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also I feel, you know, like a lot of your personal work is also about, um, like using the web, uh, whether it's like browsing web pages or making your own web pages or whatever. It sounds like you didn't have a computer from like before you can remember but when yeah. did you start having a computer around and, like, going online and finding web rings mm-hmm. for your favorite animes and whatnot? I think probably the first time I had a computer in the home was probably when I was, like, 13, maybe? Um, and I, I remember that because I was, like... When I was doing research for, like, Sybil and stuff, like, I went back and read, like, my earliest blogs that I could possibly find. Oh, yeah. And I think the earliest ones were from 2004 when I was 14. Mm. And so I must have been using the computer the year before to have, like, gained enough knowledge to even know what a blog was. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I had... Yeah, my my dad was always, like... Well, yeah, my parents are divorced, so I lived with my mom, but my dad would always, like, sort of buy, like, me techie stuff. Mm. Um, That was, like, sort of him and my thing when I was growing up. So he got the computer, um, because he was like, you have to, like, keep with the times. (laughs) Uh, And, yeah, we had, like, you know, whatever, AOL. So I think my earliest internet stuff was just being on AOL and being on, like, AOL Instant Messenger and, like, AOL chat rooms and stuff. Um, And that must have been when I was, like, 13. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, what his connection was to kind of like keeping you up with tech stuff uh basically always like yeah he got me that first computer and um later when i was like starting to express interest in games and stuff he like got me a game boy although my first console was a sega genesis Mm. which my mom's really close friend at the time took away from her son because he was playing it too much and she (laughs) gave it to me (laughs) So owned that kid. <laughs> Keep this away from my precious son. Yeah. <laughs> you take this little girl. <laughs> if this ruins you, I don't care. Yeah. My son is yeah. too important. Yeah. So I took that obviously happily off yeah. of her hands. Um, but yeah, then like mostly when I was like in high school and stuff, like, and when I started getting into MMOs like Final Fantasy Online, yeah. and and when I got more into building websites when I was in middle school. Uh, well, I stole my dad's credit card to buy website domains when I was in middle school. Um, so I guess he supported cool. me without realizing it in that way. <laughs> and then, yeah. My daughter was, just needs her domain. Yeah, when I was in high school, he would, like, get me consoles for Christmas, basically. Like, okay. that was, like, every Christmas it was, like, what is, like, a new tech thing that you would want? Yeah. And that kind of ended up huh. being, when I was a teenager, like, the the... Christmas relationship I have with my dad, basically. <laughs> but that's how I had access to, like, PS2 and, like, PS1 and, like, all yeah. that stuff. Um, so that was actually really good because I yeah. was really... I really got into that stuff when I was a kid. That's cool. When I was a teen, rather. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because... <laughs> Sorry, the train is here, as noted. It, it says was... hello. That was just a sudden train, yeah. that's all. 
And like a sick... No, it's back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, normally the train doesn't just come out of nowhere and yeah. go... And then run away. <laughs> um, disappear forever. Um, <laughs> in any case, it's, it's interesting. Because um, it sounds like... I mean, did you and your dad, like, use that stuff together very much? Or he was just sort of like, here you go, enjoy. And then you were just like, I guess I'll play some PlayStation games. Oh, yeah. I was totally the kid that had, like... Well, like I said earlier, like, I grew up in an apartment building. I think I mentioned that. Yeah. And Well, I don't think you mentioned it, actually. But you you grew up in an apartment building. I grew up in an apartment when I was young, up until middle school. So when I was in the apartment, the computer was in, like, the living room. Yeah. So that was when it was more like everyone could see what I was doing. So... I was playing a lot of, like, The Sims when it came out on that and, like, yeah. Mist, and, you know, chatting with my friends on AM and kind of trying to hide some of those conversations from my mom when right. she was in the room, obviously, because yeah. gossip. Uh, but then when eventually my mom and I moved into a house, um, I had the whole upstairs to myself, the second floor, which was like two rooms. It was yeah. like nothing. It was like the attic, basically. Yeah. And that was where all the tech stuff got put like we decided like the computer rooms up there and my bedroom's right next to it yeah so then for most of my like middle school and high school life i was just like like one of those kids that stayed in their like bedroom slash computer room area and like never left it unless to see friends and so actually a lot of my like early like making websites and playing games and watching anime and stuff that was all basically done completely in private yeah uh because i had that like little like attic zone <laughs> then you could do whatever you want on yeah, the web i did whatever i wanted <laughs> well my parents didn't they weren't really computer savvy like neither of my parents have email addresses even now Whoa, um, really? yeah wow. so like they just never got into it yeah for some reason and so i basically had free reign like i would play final fantasy online when i was 14 like literally from like on summer vacation from 3 p.m. until 6 a.m. and then sleep. And no one would know because, like, no one really came upstairs. Yeah. It was, I had just, like, my, like, apartment, like, up there, basically. Your mom was like, why do I only see my daughter yeah. for dinner? <laughs> well, I had little, bro- like, little, little brothers oh, who were, okay. like, babies at the time, so... Oh, they're, like, a lot younger than you. Yeah, okay. yes. They're, like, 10 years younger than me. Okay. So, yeah, honestly, like, I got to sort of live this independent life while my little brothers were growing up, because yeah. my mom was obviously super busy, and I babysat them a lot, too, so she could go out, yeah. which basically just amounted to me going to my room and <laughs> playing video <laughs> games and ignoring them, because I was a horrible babysitter. <laughs> All right, don't kill yourselves or whatever, I gotta go do some gaming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, like, yeah, I mean... That's so interesting. So you were basically an only child for like 10 plus years yeah. of your life and then you had siblings. Yes, exactly oh, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And then past that point, you were like, eh, I'm still kind of an only child. Yeah. I'm just going to stay up in the attic with my, <laughs> yes. with my gamerism. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so funny because at that point, you're just like, I feel like a lot of parents like know abstractly like oh my teen if i just let them go online they're gonna get into some weird shit i need to like whatever like monitor what they're doing Mm -hmm. or whatever but you just had parents that were just like i don't know what a computer is she's up there doing something yeah well it's funny because my dad used to be a computer salesman before i was born so he knew like he always helped me set them up and stuff when i was like really young but like i think the internet was more like just neither of them had ever really like gone on it and you know my mom would be like 
you know, don't talk to strangers on the internet or whatever. And I did anyways, obviously. Because yeah. everybody <laughs> on the internet is a stranger. Yeah, <laughs> Unless exactly. it's your friends from school. Yeah. So I also hid a lot of things from them. Yeah. So, like, I was pretty good at getting around any kind of internet discipline that would have gotten thrown my way. <laughs> yeah. So, at that point, you had game consoles, you had the web, mm-hmm. you had basically, yeah, your own weird teen apartment. Yep, my little arsenal, <laughs> my little zone. So, at that point, but at that point, you were you were still, like, talking to people online, making websites, playing stuff, mm-hmm. but you hadn't, had you started, had you thought about, like you know, ideas for games of your own or anything like that at that point? I never thought about making games until probably the end of high school. And the only reason I started thinking about making games was because the twins I mentioned before, Melanie and Brittany, actually went to school for game design. Oh, cool. Um, So when they were, like, applying for school and stuff, you know, and I was also applying for college... You know, they were talking about game games programs, and I was like, oh, wow, I had never even considered that. Yeah. And, you know, I had sort of a passing thought that it would be cool, and I even, like, looked into transferring to their school when I was an undergrad doing English. Um, but I never followed through with it. Yeah. So I kind of, like, knew it was a thing back then, but then I didn't actually really start thinking about any game idea or anything until, I guess, after I graduated from undergrad. Okay. Yeah. Did, did your friends end up also getting into actually, like, making games? Um, they worked on some game stuff. Now one of them is a graphic designer, mm. um, and she's worked on some, like, little indie projects and stuff, um, and is actively, like, doing art. So actually both of them ended up going in the visual art direction. Oh, okay. Uh, and Melanie, um, she's in school right now in Florida at... Uh, I think it's called Ringling mm-hmm. School of Animation. Okay. Um, and she's doing 3D animation there. Okay, So yeah. she's doing, like, a grad school kind of thing. Yeah, um, Ringling is, like, a well-known mm-hmm. art art school kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, so they Private both... art school. They didn't, like, go instantly into the games industry or anything, but they kind of, like, did things around the peripheral, and, you know, Melanie might end up going into it after her, right, right. her uh, uh, art degree. Like, grad so. stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, at that point, you were finishing high school i mean what like i feel like even if you weren't like like thinking about well here's what i would do with games um Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of the stuff that you have done like calls back really directly to stuff you were into you know or at like for for people that don't know um what what are some of like your big influences from when you were like a tween and a teen and kind of like you know, like, pulling in a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, based on how our conversation has gone so far, I could draw a lot on, like, nostalgia, especially for, like, the early 2000s era. Yeah. Um, so stuff like we were talking about before, like, when I was making websites and chatting on the internet, and I briefly mentioned I played a lot of Final Fantasy Online, which I drew on, obviously, for Sybil, um, and just, like, thinking about online like relationships and friendships and stuff in general um so yeah i'd say i draw a lot on like childhood and teenage stories in my past Mm -hmm. um because you know i like to tell personal stories or stories that are sort of like about like a character study almost yeah and you know it's 
it's pretty easy to draw on one's own life. I think when you're right. someone like me, you spend so much time like archiving shit. Like <laughs> I have so many screenshots and like weird files saved, like chat logs and stuff from when I was a teenager and whatnot yeah. that like I actually have like source material to look at when I want to like work on a game about that yeah. time period. Um, so yeah, I draw on that stuff a lot, I think. And then what games that you were playing when you were that age, do you kind of like go back to? Or, uh, you know, like, have influenced your stuff directly, yeah. do you feel like? I feel like, well, my favorite game ever is Final Fantasy X-2, which probably, it's probably not obvious in my work how I would draw on that, but I think that was, that and ten were really the first games that I ever played that were, like, really, like, narrative games. Yeah. Um, that focused on characters. And ten two was the one specifically where it was, like, a group of the female characters from mm-hmm. the game were kind of like both like a girl pop group mm-hmm. and an RPG adventuring yeah. squad. Yes. Um, I know of this because I was a tester at Sony when that game came into cert. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> 10 was in test when I was in my very first job in the games industry. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wasn't assigned to it, uh, but. Yeah, you know, I, I like checked it out while other people were working yeah. on it. But like that makes sense because, and I thought I always thought that was an, a really interesting um, kind of direction for that series to go, where they're like, "Hey, we're not making another like numbered full sequel, but we're mm-hmm. making a sequel to Final Fantasy, so like Final Fantasy Ten Dash Two, which is a weird thing that doesn't hardly ever happen in yeah. games." Um, <laughs> And then that it was almost like a like a spin-off or like almost like a standalone expansion or something where it's like we're gonna take these established characters but they're in like a different role. It almost felt like it was almost like an alternate reality thing. Mm-hmm. Um and it like involved music and obviously it was a very like you know, female character focused mm-hmm. game, which made it feel like the developers of Final Fantasy were trying to also like reach a different audience with it Mm -hmm. and i mean maybe on some level that's why it resonated with you a lot especially at that age i don't know yeah definitely i mean honestly when i talk to other like a lot of girls who sort of like have similar profiles to myself growing up like almost all of them were always like oh my god yeah i remember when 102 came out like that was such a big deal because it was it had sort of this you know because of our culture like it's pretty girly and i think a lot of like young girls sort of like like I said, in a similar profile to me, like similar, like suburban, like teen girl, we're kind of into that stuff. Obviously not always, yeah. but I have found that a lot of young of women now my age that I talked to were like, wow, I remember loving that game and being excited to see like these main characters being these like girls who are feminine and one of them's a tomboy and like one of them's like this like darker like kind of goth girl like i think there was a lot of aesthetically appealing things to sort of a wide variety of teen girls and it like it had that whole dress sphere system so there was that like magical girl aesthetic and a lot of girls were into sailor moon i think so i think i feel like it has similar overlap or like similar appeal to Mm -hmm. sailor moon where it's like an action adventure story but with a group of like female friends yeah. who are feminine and mm-hmm. and sort of have both of those aspects to the overall experience. And they're all like badass. Like wh- <laughs> when I replay it as an adult, like there's honestly like a lot of like really feminist moments in it too. And I'm like, I don't think I would have known that or been able to recognize it as a kid, but I'm positive that it resonated with me. Yeah. Like just these cool girls like caking butts and like being <laughs> awesome. I don't know. It was just 
it was so exciting to play. Because other than that, like, there wasn't really any games like that that I had access to at the time, at least. Yeah, and you could hook into, like, female characters in the mainline Final Fantasy games, <laughs> but it was always, like, Squall or whoever yeah. was the actual, <laughs> like, main character. Um, you know, maybe... It, Maybe there's stuff like Tomb Raider, I guess. Mm-hmm. Were you a Tomb Raider gal when yeah. you were growing up? I thought so. Yeah, I definitely played some Tomb Raider. I, I know you're into the new it. ones. Right, I yeah, I love the new also. ones. Yeah, yeah. I love, like, Lara Croft and everything, and I remember that was... I'll never forget the first time I encountered that freezer, like how you can lock the butler in the freezer or whatever. <laughs> I remember being a kid and thinking that was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> that was, yeah, that was in, like, Tomb Raider 2, I think, which yeah. is the first one where they had, like, a full level that was her mansion. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, I never owned it, but I remember playing it at friends' places. Yeah. Um, and the other games that I think, like, I'm like, I want to say Disney games. I don't know if they've explicitly influenced me, but, like, aesthetically speaking like games that have sort of a more like bright colors like fun yeah. character like cute characters and less like sort of more rpg D influenced stuff yeah like being able to play games like that growing up i think definitely has had an influence on the kind of stuff i want to make now which in my personal work is largely you know sort of more feminine girly early 2000s aesthetic yeah and that's kind of what i like am as a person too <laughs> i feel like between disney games and like final fantasy 10 2 and stuff like i've drawn a lot just from having grown up around those yeah yeah, yeah. that that totally extends into your like personal aesthetic like you have like a lot of like pastel anime tattoos yeah. and yes. stuff like it's all there it's, i mean honestly for me like it all goes together <laughs> making games i mean i like putting a lot of myself in my games which is why i think yeah a lot of that stuff comes up frequently um, but it's also like, I mean, I've personally for the last couple of years been struggling with like, I don't want to only make personal games, which is why working yeah. on Tacoma was so rewarding. Cause I was like, even though it's awesome to like put so much of myself in my work, there's like a limit to that. Yeah. You know? For sure. And that's why like working on Kimmy was pretty refreshing. Cause I was like, now I can just focus on this other person's story and try and flesh that out and like yeah. do interviews and stuff and do research. Cause ultimately I just like doing the research stuff and forming a story around that. Yeah. And putting myself and my own stuff sort of under the the looking glass for that works really well for me but I like to apply that to different stuff too and sort of finding the right material can be challenging but when it happens it's like really fun yeah yeah so you didn't go to school for game stuff or with game stuff in mind uh what did you go to undergrad for I applied to all of the colleges I applied to as a theater major Mm. and then didn't get into a lot of them. Couldn't afford to go to basically any of them except for Pace University, which is where I ended up going. Yeah. And I spent, I think, maybe a month in the theater program and during that time was in one of those like core English classes and had this professor, Charles North, who was a poet, he was a poet in residence there and he basically instantly inspired me to switch to English. Um, That's cool. And, yeah, then I did, like, basically English well, literature. Well, how did that go? Just, like, like, his perspective or, like, mm-hmm. his, like, passion behind what he was teaching really just, like, changed your your focus? Yeah, I would say there, he assigned, like, poetry writing assignments in that class really, like, right away. And... I wrote some poetry for that, obviously, and he reviewed it really well and was like, wow, like, I really like this. You should consider, you know, taking more of my classes. 
and I had always liked writing poetry. Like, I did it in high school a bunch, and, you know, I was sort of thinking about it. I was like, I don't really feel like I fit into this, like, New York theater hustle, like, that I've been exposed to only minimally. Like, I kind of quickly realized what I actually found interesting about theater was, like, getting into character and reading scripts and, like, figuring out how to read between the lines to express a character without just, you know, reading the dialogue yeah. flatly. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, I think I can probably better explore that as an English major. Because um, as much as I loved performing and stuff, it really was that, like, figuring out how to perform was actually the fun part for me. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of writing characters is being in character you know a lot of it is like projecting or putting yourself into that space and kind of thinking through how they would behave or what emotional state they would be in or whatever so that's that's interesting because you know i i i did like a very very small amount of like theater stuff like literally when i was in middle school Mm -hmm. um but you know i had i feel like that experience was really good for me as far as like like public speaking and stuff goes um but like I'm far enough from it and it was little enough of my upbringing that I don't think I ever really thought of performance as kind of part of the process of writing, but it is very much, you're Mm -hmm. kind of like putting yourself in the scene and then writing it down in a way, I feel like. Yeah. That's why when people ask me a lot, like, you know, how do you like in Sybil, Nina's character and that's you. So like, how do you write that? And I'm like, I don't, actually think about Nina as me it's more of a character even though she's like based on me and drawing on real things that I experienced when I'm writing it I am doing like what you're like describing this more performance thing where I'm thinking like this is the character that is performing in the piece yeah even though I'm only writing it down as text like yeah it's still there's like that performative aspect to the text and like thinking about how the character is expressing that and like applying that to more like autobiographical leaning stuff is something I've done a lot of. Yeah. Well, and when I'm writing like first drafts, I always write them longhand on paper. And so that takes longer to just like write the letters mm-hmm. onto a piece of paper than typing does. And like thinking about it, it is kind of like I'm going through the scene and like I think of the reaction and then write it down so like mm-hmm. i don't know the 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 writing feels like a a product of kind of the scene happening in my head more yeah. so than like the writing is the actual like active part of it and yeah. like I, I don't know i wonder if that's part of why writing longhand works for me cuz i'm sort of like i can kind of like run through stuff faster than i can mm-hmm. write so maybe like the thing that i write down is sort of almost more of like a synthesis of stuff that I've kind of gone over a little bit more intently in my head before mm-hmm. it because like I don't know like typing first drafts has has never felt supernatural or not supernatural like a ghost but it's not <laughs> it's supernatural <laughs> I, I've got some sort of ghost computer there's <laughs> um, a ghost inside you writing my, all of your stuff my god I'm a ghost writer <laughs> <laughs> um but it's never it's ever felt especially natural, and maybe it's because like the process of recording it is like too close to mm-hmm. the pace of composing it. I don't know. Uh. Yeah, it's funny for me because like I used to do a lot of notebook writing, but specifically when I did poetry. So 
it was actually really funny because, you know, I have a lot of my own real poetry in Sybil that I transcribed from, yeah. like, notebooks and, and also from, like, Google Docs and stuff. And going back through my notebooks was really interesting because, like, I don't really write in notebooks anymore. Like, mm. now when I write more, like, game game stuff and, like, game scripts and whatnot, I mostly do it in Google Docs. And I don't even know why I made that transition, but there's something that feels more natural for me writing dialogue in a Google Doc, whereas with poetry, which actually for me was more, like, I guess, active writing, like, like what you were describing before it, it was for me less envisioning something ahead of time and more just kind of like almost stream of consciousness right, like yeah. having a morsel of an idea and then just like going for yeah. it so i feel like when i'm doing notebook stuff i'm actually thinking less hard about what i'm writing um i think that might be part of it honestly for me is like maybe it allows my thought process to be a little more intuitive in mm-hmm. a way or yeah. something I yeah don't know. there is definitely a different sensation yeah. though it's funny, I've read uh, some of your poetry chapbooks because you gave <laughs> yeah. them to me, like, when we, I don't know, like, when I came and visited New York or something, mm-hmm. you, you gave some of them to me. And that was really cool to get to, because I had played How Do You Do It, and I had played, like, Mangia that you have it on your mm-hmm. website, but then reading uh, some short poetry collections that you had kind of outside of a narrative context or an interactive context was an interesting, like, additional angle on that. Yeah, I need to go back and reread some of those myself. <laughs> so I haven't looked at them in a while. Well, like one of the ones that you gave me was sort of like a kind of like soft sci-fi themed mm-hmm. thing, um, which is interesting going into Tacoma as well, you know, where it's sort of this like, it's it's not like classic sci-fi. It's almost like futuristic or sci-fi adjacent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, that perspective of sort of like personal poetry through a technological lens or whatever was interesting. Yeah, I did a, when I was finishing undergrad, my like honors thesis or whatever that I did was about sci-fi poetry. And I wrote about what sci-fi poetry is and where it exists. And then like, yeah, I wrote my own little chapbook of sci-fi poems that were, yeah, basically personal. They weren't about me though, but I was like, yeah, writing like character based sci-fi poems for that. Yeah was fun that was like a funny little little uh phase (laughs) um okay so so you went into undergrad for theater and then you switched to english with a poetry focus yes okay um so i mean what where is pace university it's in downtown manhattan like in the financial district or like right next to it basically so what was what was your experience of like moving to you know, the the middle of New York City and being in, like, poetry school. Yeah. Like, I mean, that sounds very, like, I don't know, there's, like, a romanticism to yeah. that, right? Definitely. I mean, there was already a romanticism for me because, like, my the first time I went to New York was when I was in high school. I went with my aunt and her friend, and I had never been, but I had an online friend there from Final Fantasy Online, and... I remember I pretended he was a friend from home and he came and met up with me and my aunt and her friend <laughs> like near the Christmas tree in New York. It was around Christmas. But like in front of like the Rockefeller Center? Yeah. 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 And uh, so I honestly had like kind of this like romanticized image of New York right from the start because like I went there and like had this sort of like 
exhilarating first meetup with like this person I'd been close with in MMOs for a long time. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like being in New York is so amazing. Like I can do this like crazy thing. And like, you know, we went to a bunch of museums and I was like, the city's awesome. And yeah, so that, that was kind of actually, I think originally what drove me to want to move there. And obviously theater is a big thing there. So naturally doing theater in New York makes sense. And then I was in poetry and it was actually great. And, like, also, because New York has a really long history of poetry, and I'm glad I fell into poetry there specifically because the poets I was exposed to by that by Professor North were a lot of, like, local poets from the 70s and 80s. So mm. sort of, like, post-Allen Ginsberg, like, beat poetry people called the New York School Poets. Yeah. Um, and they were writing a lot of, personal poetry or more vignette style poetry. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I would have been as sort of like heavily introduced to that group of poets if I had gone to school outside of New York. Yeah. So I felt very lucky for that and ended up being an intern at the Poetry Project, which has a lot of history with like the Beats and the New York School and all these huh. other... It's like a pretty famous poetry venue there. Um, well, and I, got, yeah. I was really involved for a very long time with poetry in New yeah. York. Well, what, so so what what do you mean by a venue? It was like a performance space where people would read, mm-hmm. do like live readings and yep. stuff? Okay. Yeah, and uh, it was mostly for readings. Like they had, I think, two readings a week um, and also had like a yearly sort of huge New Year's reading that lasted like a whole day. That's and they cool. had various kinds of events and stuff. Um, but basically every like famous poet goes through there at some point. It's it's a pretty big venue. That's cool. And it's just in this old church. It's it's right huh. near St. Mark's Place. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's in that, like, St. Mark's Church that's right there. Um, it sounds and, really uh, yeah. dramatic. It's a, it's a pretty dramatic venue, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, I was an intern and just kind of, like, worked there in that capacity for a long time and went to a ton of poetry readings. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's an awesome opportunity to yeah. get to actually help and then be able to be there for like readings that people mm-hmm. presumably like that really noteworthy people read at and the mm-hmm. people like come a long way to experience and stuff yeah and i got to meet like a bunch of those poets i mentioned before that influenced me a lot because you know they were writing in like the 70s and 80s a lot of them are still alive um and so i think seeing like like for example john ashbury was there he passed away recently mm-hmm. um but he was someone i looked up to a lot and he has really interesting work and yeah i got to see like him read there i just and ron paget also he's another poet i really like sort of from from that era um but yeah it's also like just getting to see those people read live i think gives such impact to the work for poetry yeah i, I really like live poetry reading stuff yeah well and i know that like you you kind of did more of that stuff as well throughout your college career like you also like interned at like kill screen and stuff oh yeah so (laughs) like being involved is like a good thing to to do and obviously something that you're kind of driven towards how did you what was your transition like from undergrad with a real poetry focus to you ended up doing game stuff in your grad school work Mm -hmm. so there must have been kind of like a shift around that that border Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's weird. It, it's a it was a weird time. So 
throughout most of my undergrad career, I had like a work study job in the computer science department mm. and my social group was largely like, yeah, either poetry people or tech people. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a, a crossover that makes a lot of sense now that I thought was funny at the time. Right. Um, and yeah, so I was really involved with them and like sort of exposed to programming and stuff like that throughout undergrad, but didn't actually decide to do it until right after. But I think the I got a lot of support from that computer science department after I graduated undergrad because I kind of kept working there, sort of. Yeah. And I took some of my first programming classes there right after undergrad because I was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Like, a lot of my friends program, and, like, maybe this is cool. Like, I used to make websites. Um, and around the same time, I also met a bunch of game developers so like diego garcia Emmett butler and um like the baby castles people yeah a bunch of other folks all at the same time right after i graduated undergrad right and that's so funny so baby castles by the way is this like very indie like Mm -hmm. game and music event space or like it, it was an event space at some point do they still have a dedicated space or do they more like do events around uh, now they have a space. When I okay. was going to more of their stuff, or when I was, the time I'm talking about, I think they didn't have a permanent space. I'm not sure. Yeah. I Yeah, I went to a lot of their different shows when they were moving around. Yeah. So. Did they, is, isn't there a venue called The Silent Barn? Yes. Did they do stuff there? They must have. Yeah. I can't remember very clearly. They yeah. did a lot of different things. I know, it's just funny. I went to at least a couple of Baby Castle's events, mm-hmm. like, when I would be visiting... New York, and I just realized if you were doing that stuff at the same time, we might have weirdly like overlapped at events because <laughs> I came and like saw shows and and, yeah. and uh, events there like in like two thousand eight yeah. to ten kind mm-hmm. of time zone. Um, that's funny. That's yeah. when that's like when Lee Alexander lived there, and I yeah, would go to that's her. how I know her. Is, okay, yeah, because her and I were well, like I got into all that stuff because I was really into chiptune music, so I would go <laughs> to like Anamanaguchi's shows and stuff, and that's kind of how I met all these people yeah. just by being at those shows. And yeah, Lee would be at that stuff too. So I her and I, I met back then. <laughs> yeah, I went to stuff with her because yeah. we knew each other from blogs. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> and then I came and visited New York and she was living there. We went around to stuff. So yep. anyway, weird, small world. Um, so yeah, so you were kind of, you were finishing your undergrad stuff and mm-hmm. you were starting to just be in the orbit of people who yes. were like in the indie game space in New York basically. Yeah, so that was sort of my social circle and I wasn't making games, I was still just doing poetry. Yeah. Um and then I started dating Emmett Butler and him and Diego were working on a game Heads Up Hot Dogs like on the weekends and so I would go hang out with them while they worked on it and be working on my poetry and kind of like watching them work and that kind of exposed me to the idea like oh, I know kind of how to program and I'm seeing them do it and like, oh, that's how games are made. Weird. So I was starting to kind of connect the dots and also played... Diego, I think it was, showed me like Dysphoria Mm. and then I discovered Kentucky Red Zero and then Gone Home, actually. And those (laughs) were the three games that kind of made me realize that I could do a similar kind of writing that I wanted to do, but in games. That's so cool. Yeah, so then sort of around the same time, I was feeling inspired by that and really uh, run down just by my life because I got really sick. I have this, like, stomach illness that I developed around that time. 
And so yeah, that wasn't something that had been chronic like that. Like started it when just you started. Were at yeah. Uh, <laughs> long story short, it was like a mold in a New York apartment thing. Oh, okay. It was yeah, a disaster. Right. So that happened, and I was like really needing like something to do yeah. to like kind of keep my life together because yeah. I was just like really sick and not knowing how to deal with it yet. Right, yeah. Um. So. It was kind of just, like, weirdly perfect timing that I met all of those people and, like, played all of those games right when I got really sick. Because I suddenly, I was like, I can't do these, like, on-the-side programming classes anymore. Like, I don't have the energy because I'm sick. Like, I would be leaving class randomly because I would feel so sick. Yeah. So I stopped doing those and had this free time outside of my day job, which I also wasn't super passionate about. I was working at the Department of Education as a data analyst, um, and that was just, like, you know, to pay the bills, basically. Yeah. So I was like, I have to do something, or I'm going to, like, be super depressed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because I had all these friends doing games, that was sort of an easy space to tap into for me. So I started going with Emma and Diego to Game Jams. And cool. They let me write a little code here and there, even though I was horrible at it, and like mentored me and all that good stuff. So, yeah, yeah I really got my start just because I was like, I need to do something, and games seem cool. I think I can contribute with my writing skills. I want to try and learn how to program because that's something I can spend my time doing. Um, yeah, and, and spend your yeah. time doing like on your laptop <laughs> while you're recovering, yeah, like exactly. in your home. Yeah, yep. for sure. I mean, yeah, because that's that's kind of your your skill set in the games that you make for yourself is like writing, programming, design, mm -hmm. not like art, and mm -hmm. not like. It, I feel like, am I right? On most of your games, you've kind of like had a programming partner or mm -hmm. kind of contributed code, but it's sort of been collaborative. Yeah, basically, Emmett worked with me on all of my early stuff, um, and. Except for freshman year, which I did on my own completely. Mm. Um, but yeah, he was always my programming partner early on. And now you work with Aaron Friedman mm -hmm. on yeah. more recent stuff. Who I met in grad school. Cool. Because, um, yeah, because that's, that's interesting. <clears throat> as, as someone who... I feel like, like the games that you've worked on on your own, so many of them are also very like art driven because they're 2d and so it's like the different art styles are very distinctive and i think you know like looking at screenshots of games is like people's first impression of it so mm -hmm. it's interesting to have stuff where you're very you know central to the identity of it and the story of it and how it works but also you have to find like partners who have really um complementary visual styles to what you're doing yeah yeah i mean honestly like for example, like, actually, visual artists have always been really core to the design of a lot of, a lot of my early games that I worked on, mm. because I don't have a great visual sense. I'm not, like, a visual artist, so I always, like, I depend a lot on collaboration, and, like, with How Do You Do It, for example, Joni Kataka was the artist, and they are brilliant, and... We, I sort of, like, pitched them the concept, like, the mechanical concept and, like, had my own horrible sketches and sent them right. along. And they actually, like, I think my first sketches were just of, like, the hands with the dolls. Yeah, right. And not her face. And Joni sent me back a sketch that basically added her face and, like, just changed the perspective yeah, of the yeah. shot. 
and that was really when actually i think how do you do it like came together was right that exchange of well, just seeing concepts, the i mean not to jump too art. far ahead but uh yeah seeing the character's reaction is mm-hmm. like i think yeah. a central aspect of like what sticks with you from that right game. and i hadn't because i'm not like i think i am more now but at the time i wasn't really thinking that way like having an artist who was collaborating with me you know really helped sort of open up i think that part of the design which was obviously really key because yeah i think one of the big appeals of that game is like seeing her like kind of like sweating being like oh what's happening (laughs) well i know that when like when you collide two of the dolls she'll sometimes make like a surprise face yeah exactly Um, so um but that's that's something you worked on a little bit later Mm -hmm. at this point you were i mean that's really cool that and i feel like this is something that's not uncommon with creative people is that like for some reason they were like really sick or you know kind of like trapped indoors for some reason and so they just like went into these things that they could do and really threw themselves into drawing or writing or programming or or whatever so like it sucks that you got sick in college but Mm -hmm. it's cool that you've like channeled it into learning how to make this stuff that you had only kind of like seen from the outside up to that point. Yeah, definitely. Um, so at that point you were finishing undergrad and you, and was that when you were kind of deciding were, were, did you always feel like you wanted to go forward and get a master's or were you at a point where you were like, Oh, now I can see, I, I want to stay in school to learn more about mm-hmm. this or what? Well, yeah. So the, when I got like sick and stuff and, started making games that was like right after undergrad so I actually had sort of half a year and I like actually started grad school at CUNY for science fiction uh, for a little while (laughs) so I was actually doing like weirdly multiple grad school things within that time and then yeah I got sick and stopped all of it um so I knew I wanted to do grad school in some capacity but the NYU, where I ended up going was New York University um, Integrated Digital Media Program, yeah. which I ended up in because through going to GDC, I met um, Phoenix from Phoenix Perry, who, who was teaching there at the time. Mm. And her and I connected, and we ended up doing Code Liberation together later with a bunch of other women. But oh, right. at first we were just friends, and she was excited about my stuff and had been starting to think about Code Liberation. So she actually kind of got me involved with NYU and connected me with the right people there. And she's really the reason I went there. Um, okay. And that I, I did that because I was like, I want to leave my job that I don't feel passionate about. I've done all these game jams. I had, we had made, how do you do it at that point? Um, and at a game jam at NYU, <laughs> hilariously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is when I first met Bennett because he was one of the judges, which is oh, also right. hilarious. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just weirdly threw myself into it. Luckily had, you know, friends and a significant other at the time that were willing to go with me to like stuff like GDC or let me kind of follow them around and tag along. I really jumped into it very fast. Like I went to GDC like right after I think I had made Ladylike or or we had made Ladylike. Um, but yeah, I just was kind of like, I'm going. Like, I'm going to do this because I can't just, like, stagnate yeah. and be sick. 
Uh, and yeah, starting grad school was a transition for me to leave my old job right. and go into something new and like an excuse to go part time. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like a stepping stone for me okay. in my mind, where I also got to like make games with more of my time, which was really important. Yeah. So, so was okay. So, so you were doing, you were going to game jams and you were learning that stuff. So, yeah. What was the first game that you made that was like that like came from you that you finished? Mm-hmm. Was well, that lady like? Technically, the first game that I ever made was when I was teaching myself how to program. I was doing Python, and I took one of my sci-fi poems from my sci-fi chapbook and converted it into a little text adventure. Yeah, I I've shown like two people probably, but <laughs> technically it was my first game, and I like basically took every line of the poem and made it almost into like a Twine game. Okay, so I guess my first game was a Python Twine style game. <laughs> um, but the first game that I worked on that was like playable would have been oh god i did like a ps vita game jam with emmett and diego where we made a gardening sim Hmm. about a little robot gardener sounds nice (laughs) yeah it was cute i learned c sharp by doing that okay um yeah honestly it's kind of blurry like the first another one was like an ekg game these are all blurred together because i literally did like multiple game jams within like a month when okay. I got started. Yeah. So it was like a bunch of different things. But I think the first one where I had my own creative direction involved was um Hokuto no Huchen, hmm. Fist of the North Carp, which is a game about it's a little flash game where you play as young me, basically, a little girl who's gone fishing with her dad and her dad wants her to take the fish off the line but he's basically trolling her so he's <laughs> whipping the fishing pole all around so the fish is flying all over the screen and you have to kind of like jump on it and you lose if you get hit by the fish if you get quote fish slapped <laughs> um so that was the first game that i made where it was really like like as like a designer right I would say. <laughs> <laughs> and that came from your upbringing, you have a, a memory of getting yes. fish slapped oh, yeah. by your dad? Yeah, my dad used to take me fishing, and one time he caught a sunfish and thought it would be funny to swing it at me, and it slapped me in the face, <laughs> and it felt disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was hilarious. As do I. Yeah. Agreed. Your dad's right. I got owned, and I made a game about it. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, kids? Yeah. That's the process. Yeah. Get owned, then make a game about it. Think about the most brutal ownage that you've experienced and then just put it in the game. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then then you kept working on other text games and other graphical games. Not text ones until later, really. okay. Like, it was, yeah, Fist of the North Carp and then My House, My Rules, which was a game jam game. I think it was, like, Ludum Ludum Dare, Ludum Dare. Okay. which was about, you played a little girl, it was like sort of a pixel art, like, um, isometric game, Mm -hmm. I think, and you played as a little girl who is in a house where there is a bunch of, like, candy on the floor, and you're kind of trying to collect it and hoard it in your little stash, but you have, like, five moms patrolling (laughs) the house, and if you get caught by your mom, you lose. (laughs) If by any of your five moms. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes a family can be five moms. Yes, exactly. And one daughter yeah. who loves candy. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, I made a bunch of like, or I worked on a bunch of smaller flash games like that with, um, my friends early on. Yeah. Uh, and those were, yeah, I didn't really do text stuff. I feel like other than like a couple like poetry games yeah like mangia was the first twine game i think i ever made yeah and i played that and i thought that that like perspective and writing was really interesting i don't get into a lot of like text games Mm -hmm. i've played a fair number of them but i don't like connect with a lot of them but i feel like that felt like such a personal vignette and it was structured in such a way that um yeah that really clicked for me and that was about like your stomach problems and then your history with like your family and Mm -hmm. food right yep yeah and that was actually made in bennett foddy's prototype studio class (laughs) at nyu uh well yeah because like you you were in a program at nyu but you kind of just like snuck into the nyu game center and just did classes there (laughs) instead (laughs) as far as i can tell yeah well because that was their first actually it's funny because this was I think the year after their first class entered yeah, for the NYU game set, like when they first started. Yeah. And I was pretty close friends with all of them because I was friends with Diego, who's in that first class. Yeah. I ended up at like all the NYU game center parties <laughs> and stuff, like when they first started. So it was, it was pretty simple to go and be like, can I take serious classes? Cause I'd already been hanging out at all their stuff yeah. when I was like not even a student. So, yeah, I have a long history with that program, even well, though I never actually went to it. They yeah. say I'm an honorary member of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, your advisor was a Game Center, yeah, like, faculty. Yeah, so <laughs> for, for those also um, unaware, Bennett Foddy is the creator of Quop and uh, GURP. Yep. And uh, the most recently released Getting Over It yeah. and Pole so Riders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, basically, Bennett makes trolley games yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where they're incredibly hard and frustrating um but that's his whole aesthetic yeah. and they're like really thoughtfully very hard and frustrating um in an intentional way that is like jokey and self-aware but also legitimately really hard and frustrating and sometimes like physically painful to play yeah. it's funny because he was like my first and like still like one of my main game designer mentors which maybe you wouldn't expect from playing most of my games but (laughs) well he was like a really big booster for sybil when you were working on it and like i mean that's the thing like you know people i think that from the outside it can it can feel unexpected to see that like you know like i don't know that that like Someone who made Gone Home plays like a ton of like I don't know PUBG, PUBG, and, <laughs> and like you know whatever like Bloodborne and like take your pick, right? I'm like, obsessed with Overwatch, right? Who would have thought? <laughs> but and and similarly, like Bennett was one of the people when we were making Gone Home that like we sent you know the we sent builds to for feedback and that he played it in the IGF and stuff and he was like a really really big proponent of that game and it's like not anything like what he would make but you can totally appreciate things that also you would never make and vice versa he's just a really good well vice versa that means you would make things you would never appreciate (laughs) never mind hopefully you don't do that (laughs) i feel like bennett's just bennett's an awesome teacher and an awesome mentor and he knows how to give feedback for games yeah for interactivity yeah and that you know 
can span like a lot of different kinds of games yeah. obviously so yeah he was he's like he's one of my favorite teachers ever he's really brilliant that's awesome mm-hmm. so my yeah my first uh exposure to your stuff was when we met in person at this gdc event and uh at a house party yeah <laughs> at, at, at an unwinnable uh dot com sponsored house party we had we had showed shown we had shown gone home at that event like two or three years earlier because what they'll do is they'll invite people who have like games in the igf or just insert interesting indie games to come to this house that they have and then they have like an open house where people set up their games at different like stations throughout the house and people can come in and it's a party and you can play different stuff and so i was wandering around and uh <laughs> like so teddy Deef, who was one of the creators of Hyperlight Drifter, was showing Hyperlight Drifter in one of the rooms upstairs, and he was like, hey, you should come up here. And then I went in to that room, and then you had, how do you do it, set up in the corner, and you were like, hey, want to play my game? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I remember I said, uh, what is it? And you just went, you'll see. <laughs> and I was just like... Oh, okay okay yeah. and then i played how do you do it and so how do you do it you know you should go play it right now it's on Nina's website it's also on steam for free um and it's just it's a like two minute game where uh the the setup is you're like what maybe like an eight year old mm-hmm. um girl who's home by herself her mother leaves to like go on an errand and then she like looks out the window to make sure the car's really gone and then takes like a Ken and Barbie doll and just starts like smushing their bodies together and having these thoughts that are like what are they doing is this like when uh Jack and Rose are in the car in Titanic (laughs) like and like like having like flushed cheeks and like looking like shocked at her own like tangling of (laughs) these like doll bodies together and then uh your mother comes home and like she like takes it all and puts them behind yourself and like tries to look all innocent and then it tells you how many times you did it yeah yep. <laughs> um, and it's like this incredibly <laughs> funny straightforward stripped down relatable memory that you can play that i feel like everybody has some version of the like you're that age and you're just trying to get in you know get your head around that kind of stuff for the first time and you're hiding it from your parents but you don't really know why et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. and like it distilled an enormous amount about like this one like liminal aspect of childhood that I think uh, was really really interesting and really well executed so I so you know like Thanks. I sat down and I played <laughs> through that and then I was just like I mean I just remember being like what the like what <laughs> That was like that was really good and interesting. I talked to you about it and stuff, and then you showed me one of your other games, um, Ladylike, which is a more expansive, like kind of narrative based yeah. um, uh, uh, game. That's a set of vignettes about a daughter and her mom and their relationship and stuff. But like, I remember having no uh, setup for this and just being thrown into it, and then experiencing this very particular perspective through interactivity and, like, presentation um, that I found really unique and um, just interesting to see in that form. Um, And so then, yeah, I was like, all right, well, 
I need to keep up with this person. <laughs> like, Nina seems really interesting. It's hilarious because I wasn't even technically invited to show my games at that party. Like, I kind of just went in with Teddy. Yeah, <laughs> like, good. And Stu, I think, was, I was just like, can I set up next to them? And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> so, well, and also, a like, <laughs> well, a chance meeting. Except that I was like I was tell I was asking about this years later. Like after oh, yeah. <laughs> like after you were working for us, I think, I was yeah. like asking about that uh that that night. I was like, Do you remember when I just like happened to come up there and you were like no, I saw you were at the party and I told Teddy to come like yeah, trick true. you into coming up <laughs> yeah. to see my game. Yeah. Because I was a big fan of Gone Home and I was like, oh, it's Steve Gaynor. Teddy, will you go get him? You know, right? And here we are. Yeah, it works. No, I don't know. But I mean, that's part of like the whole thing, right? Like, you're very like actually like intentional about like getting involved with things or like try to like make stuff happen. Like, that's awesome. I don't know. I'm out here. doing stuff nina out here yeah (laughs) um so at that point yeah like i don't know we just sort of like i i was visiting new york to speak at a kill screen thing and then we hung out again and stuff so we kind of kept up for a little while but at that point you were still like part way through grad school right Mm -hmm. and at that point you had started working on sybil as like your grad school thesis right Mm -hmm. so where did so sybil a was a much larger scope game than something like how do you do it or ladylike um but but like talk about that game and where that came from yeah, so Sybil is basically a game about a girl and a guy who meet in an online game who have sort of a romantic relationship and decide to meet up and have sex. And that's what the game's about. <laughs> that's it. Uh, and you play as the girl, so it's all from her perspective. Um, and you're basically, your interface is her computer, as if you're sitting there in first person, almost. Um, you're, you're seeing what she would be seeing. Yeah, so yeah. you have access to, like, all of her files that she has on her computer, so you can look at her pictures or read her blog and her poetry, and also play the online game with this guy, and you, as the player, sitting there and hearing these conversations that she's having with him, uh, and also chatting with her other friends and stuff. So it's supposed to be like you're embodying this girl who's playing an online game and has this internet life and romance that she's she's going through. Um, And yeah, it actually started as a prototype for Ben and Fadi's prototyping class, yeah. where a bunch of my stuff started. <laughs> um, he The prompt that week was the student's pick prompt. So my friend Francisca and I were like, the prompt is sex. It's going to be sex, okay? <laughs> we kind of forced it on everyone. Uh, and I was like... Sex, I, make me a sex game now. Yeah. Make it. <laughs> part of it was because I wanted to see what my classmates would make. Yeah. And then the other part of it was like, I had had this idea to make a game about the experience Sybil is based on for a while, and originally I wanted to do a poem about it, but because I was making games now, I was like, well, maybe I can adapt that poem idea to be sort of more of the start for a game. Um, And yeah, I made the original prototype for Sybil in that class, which was basically just a tiny, tiny version of what the online game part of the game became. So in the prototype, you just controlled a little avatar and sort of witnessed like a chat conversation going on between the girl and the guy um so super basic at first and then bennett 
was like really excited by it. He thought it was really cool, yeah. and he encouraged me to build it out further. Um, and that that's when I was like, well, I'll do it for my thesis because yeah. it's about time to decide what that's going to be. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I was just kind of motivated by <laughs> Bennett being excited about it and having spent a long time kind of ruminating on the idea and just having it sort of brewing in the back of my mind for like many years at that point. Well, why was that something, why was that an idea that you were especially kind of obsessed with? I think my f- when I come up with game ideas, I usually have a story first, and they're almost always stories that I like to tell, like, at the bar mm, over drinks, okay. basically. <laughs> so this Civil was one of those, based on one of those stories, where I would, like, go out for drinks with friends and be like, so let me tell you about this crazy thing that happened to me right. once. Um, and it, <laughs> Because I this like... was a thing when you were the teenager and mm-hmm. you were playing Final Fantasy Online and you actually were in a yeah. relationship, and this is, like, a, a, a fictionalized... Yes version of events that that you remember Mm -hmm. yeah it's like the distilled version of sort of a longer relationship um and also how do you do it started that way where it was a story i was sharing at (laughs) over the bar at the bar the night before a global game jam Ah. we made it um that's so cool that was a game jam game i was just at indicade and um they gave like the impact award to the founders of the global game jam uh and they've been doing that i think for like i think it was i think it was 10 years now um and it's so cool how many things like how do you do it and Mm -hmm. other games that like we've probably all heard of or played either were straight up a jam game or like their first prototype was a jam game Mm -hmm. and then they got turned into a full thing yeah the the global game jam has really like led to a lot of stuff yeah totally anyway but yeah so i think a lot of my favorite stories to work on in my personal games are sort of those yeah, share over drinks because yeah. it's a funny, weird story to tell people that like gets a reaction out of them that I yeah. like. <laughs> well, I mean, that's true. But also, I think something that's worth talking about is like, what do you think draws you to subject matter that is kind of like particularly... Um, personal Mm -hmm. I mean like you've made a lot of games that are about sex or things like sexual harassment Mm -hmm. or relationships or you know those sorts of things like and when I say relationships it's like the hard parts of a relationship Mm -hmm. right so like I feel like it takes a, a, a certain kind of perspective to say like like yeah this is the subject matter that I'm like I feel like I need to make a game about like I don't know, in, in the most straightforward way, like, what do you think it is about being like, I'm going to make a game that is, like, frank and straightforward and focused on sex stuff, for instance, as, like, what you want to be the things that, that you do in cases like that? For me, I think poetry is to blame, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like, I was describing those New York School poets earlier, so them and other poets, like, Frank O'Hara or Elizabeth Bishop. I actually often cite Elizabeth Bishop's poem. You've probably heard me talk about this a million times, but her poem in the waiting room is a big inspiration for me. So Mm. that is a poem, a short vignette about when she was a kid and she was in a doctor's waiting room waiting for her aunt to get out. And she picks up a national geographic magazine off of a little coffee table and starts paging through it. And she's this kid and she turns it to a page 
that is an image of a bunch of women with no shirts on. So with their breasts exposed and the poem ends up being sort of about her and that moment where she sees them and just like her reaction to that as a kid who's never seen women's breasts before and how that makes her feel. Yeah. And so I was always inspired by that poem's honesty with a subject that is like maybe weird to talk about in our culture. And so I ended up writing a lot of poetry that's very personal because of reading poets like that and enjoying their work and spent a lot of time writing erotic poetry in college and like Mm. that was sort of like my poetry group we were all into like erotic poetry and personal poetry and stuff and shared that stuff a lot with each other so I think I really got used to that kind of personal subject matter it's raining so much suddenly yeah I bet I bet you can now hear the good like ASMR rain on the roof yeah we we have we're, we're just looping the ambient sound loop from gone home right yeah. now uh for your for your listening pleasure no we're in our office is on the top floor of this hundred year old building and it is raining like heck right now so if you can hear that that's what, it's not it's nicer than a train or hammering yeah that's true at least it's constant yeah well and i mean i think i feel like as a theme for you like also your twitter handle is hentai phd oh, yeah. uh i don't know i think it's interesting Wow, the rain is wilding out. It's like a wave hit the building. Yeah. Um, gosh. Well, if we're washed away, this, yeah. <laughs> this podcast will be our R. only survival. Yeah, rip. <laughs> please listen to this podcast. Somebody post this, please. <laughs> okay, it's like, this seems to be in the podcast, and then you have to make like a hard cut where it goes to like silence, and we're like, we're back. <laughs> we lived. Oh. We survived it. We survived it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like something that is always like interesting to see in games is just like subject matter perspectives that are not usually talked about mm-hmm. or acknowledged. And I think that like a young woman talking about like sex stuff as like a thing that she's right. like, no, this isn't what we usually see. Yeah, I'm just gonna make things about this is like interesting in an abstract or like not an abstract way but in like a more general Mm -hmm. way but also it's like you're bringing a lot of your own i guess whatever obsessions to what you're making Mm -hmm. too yeah do you feel like that's part of like a time in your life because you're still you know a young game developer but when you were making these games you were like i don't know in your early 20s or whatever do you feel like that was something that followed you know like that time in your life specifically like how much of the i guess what i'm saying is how much of the games that you made when you were coming up do you feel like were a reflection specifically of who you were at that time mm-hmm. versus like what you would do today or whatever yeah. i think it's definitely changed a lot because i used to be more open to the idea of being like an autobiographical game designer but i've honestly drifted away from that quite a bit because i I don't like to be pigeonholed, but I think when I was first starting out, I was really, really, like, I think especially because I was really sick and, like, going through, like, an emotional time, like, and struggling with, like, a lot of anxiety and depression because of that, I really wanted to use games as a way to, like, express my feelings and, like, for catharsis, Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't need that as much these days, so I think my games have changed to be a little more... um, 
I don't know. They're just different now. Because I still will make personal stuff. Like, LostMemories.net is still a personal game. Yeah. But I think at least my motivation for working on that kind of stuff is different now. Um, and my desire to work on stories that aren't my own is stronger now. Yeah. I think probably because of that growth. Um, and I think I'm... I'm farther also away from my poetry practice, so I think that that has probably changed my writing quite a bit, because now I'm really more of a game design thinker than I was when I started, yeah. for better or worse. Um, and that has definitely changed the way I make games. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird. I also went through a phase where, like, when I was working on... When I made four games while working on Tacoma... Um, I definitely, like, got myself a little burned out on my personal work at some point during that, so... Well, I mean, that's just a lot to yeah. do. Yeah. That's just a lot of, just, like, work to so, put in, to sign yourself up for. Yeah, so my games were definitely affected by that. Like, I look at Kimmy and LostMemories.net, and I'm like, they're not perfect or exactly what I envisioned because of the way my life was at the time. So, yeah, that stuff definitely has affected my games in various ways yeah um, but i think i've always just been like a very sometimes brutally honest person so in the end that's just a part of my personality and i think will always be a part of the games that i work on is just the desire to be honest about things that people maybe don't feel comfortable talking about right and a lot of that is just the way i grew up like you know my parents my mom specifically hates talking about personal stuff so mm. like i was never like really allowed to or wasn't encouraged so i guess part of me like needs that yeah, <laughs> as an adult yeah. so it's there's a lot of layers there I yeah think. um so that kind of puts you at the end of your grad school experience right because you kind of made the first part of sybil as your thesis that mm-hmm. you um that you presented and everything and Around then was when we were spinning up more on, like, putting Tacoma into full production, and I had been talking to you for a while, and I had been talking about, uh, like, how we needed more design help with Carla and everything. Pardon me. Um, but I'd been talking with Carla about, well, we could probably use more designers, and, like, Nina's work is really interesting, she's finishing college, so around that time was when you came out here and visited. Mm-hmm. Um and we were kind of like, yeah, you, if you would want to, you should totally come work for us when you finish school. Um, you went to Dots to have the discussion, and I went <laughs> thrift store shopping. And then you guys met up with me and were like, this seems cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Just for the detail. <laughs> yeah, Dots Diner in uh, Portland, Oregon. Good place. Old, old Portland-y place. Um but yeah, so like that that was I guess another point where you were like you were finishing school and we all felt like working together would be a good fit and then you were like moving all the way across the country. Sure oh, sounds yeah. like a good idea. Yeah, I was like, "Hey, defend my thesis and then a week later move to Portland." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a huge jump because like, you know, you grew up in uh New England and then lived in New York for a bunch of years and now you've been here for yeah, like 3 three-ish years now, right? I was yeah. a mass hole, and now I'm a... Uh, you're always a... You're, you'll always be a mass <laughs> <Yeah>. hole. 
What's a asshole always a asshole Freeman? True. <laughs> I'm sure if Carla were here, she would agree. Oh yeah, she would never argue with that. She still she still thinks says things are wicked. Yeah. X. Yeah, when, I love it. <laughs> when when shit gets when shit gets real, yep. the asshole <laughs> reveals <Comes> itself. <laughs> um. So yeah, so we um, we hired you to be a. I think I think that in general we we're sort of like we're gonna hire you to be a designer. Um, I'm a gal. Because <laughs> I think our our perspective was you know on Gone Home I was the only designer, so I did all of the level design and building and all the scripting. A much smaller game um, with a lot, a lot fewer moving parts. Um, and also there was like less like business to run and day to day kind of like yeah like logistical stuff to to deal with. So on Tacoma we knew that we needed like a level designer to actually be building stuff as their main focus. So we hired Tynan Wales who um Carla and I had worked with at 2K Marin to be in that role. But still like I just wasn't able to contribute a lot on the practical like spend all day building stuff kind of level and so we were like well it's so nina as a interesting perspective good design thinking a lot of experience making very small games but like no experience making the kinds of games that we make um but is into a lot of the kinds of games that are relevant to you know the same kind of stuff that we draw inspiration from so we'll bring nina on and she can kind of like fill in the gaps of design stuff but then pretty quickly it just sort of became like, okay, Nina, you are, you and Tynan are both level designers. That's your job in the, like, core sense of, like, what the title is. And then you also catch other, any other designer mm-hmm. implementation stuff that, um, that kind of orbits around that. But that meant that when you started with us, your first, like, you know stuff that you need to to kind of uh, get into the groove on was using unity the engine mm-hmm. we use and just like learning how to be a level designer for first person games yeah hilarious because <laughs> 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 i was like i hadn't used unity like at all yeah honestly like time and spent a lot of time with me early on just like yeah getting me up to speed it helps when you can learn full-time right <laughs> you know yeah. so i was able to i think get up to speed technically speaking pretty fast and then yeah it's so funny looking at my notebook now because i did learn like you know robert yang shares that level design series of pictures where it's like the beginner level designer is the first picture and then intermediate and then someone who has more experience is yeah. the third looking through my paper maps notebook is like literally that <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it's really funny um, well, so yeah, funny. I learned a lot yeah. early on. Because now that I think about it, that is funny. Because, like, I remember when... So, the thing that Nina's referring to is Robert Yang is also at NYU, and also he's an indie game developer who's made a lot of, like, gay-themed games that are really interesting and mm-hmm. in kind of the the perspective they, they tackle. Uh, but also he's just, like, a really thoughtful design critic and, and mm-hmm. analyst and, like, talks a lot about, yeah, like, level design for mm-hmm. first-person shooters. And, and stuff like on, like, Half-Life mods and stuff, right. so yeah, like his first-person level design. Right, yeah, like, his earliest stuff, I think, was, like, Half-Life 2 mm-hmm. mods or yep. whatever. Um, so, yeah, he had this, this image that he put together. It was three... So a paper map is, like, a top-down, like, sketch of a level, um, basically, like, the outline of a level, and it's, like, beginner, e- intermediate, and expert, and it's sort of, like, one is very much just, like, 
boxes connected by hallways and then two is that's all kind of like pulled together into a more cohesive shape and then three breaks a lot of the like 90 degree angles and stuff to make it uh, uh cohesive and more organic um in like it and so i remember looking at that and it was you know years after gone home had come out and i was like if you look at the if you look at the map of especially the downstairs in gone home the west hall and the east hall look very different from each other and the west hall is the area that i designed and laid out and built before kate started working with us and then the east hall is a section that she and i worked on together and that we built together and she did like architectural research on like how victorian homes are actually laid out and if you look at them side by side the one i did looks like the beginner sketch and the one that she did or that we did together looks like the intermediate sketch like they almost look like drawings of those parts of the house and gone home i was like oh i guess i went from a beginner to an intermediate level designer with kate's help while making gone home thanks robert uh, but then the thing is now that i think about it the the playable spaces in tacoma are probably much more like the expert like sketches where there's more like you know, non-90-degree angle uh, areas and areas that kind of, like, snap together mm-hmm. in interesting ways and kind of, like, relate to each other in multiple uh, axes. And, you know, that in some ways is probably, like, the culmination of you and me and Tynan all... And, and Kate, like, learning to kind of think of these spaces in... A more unified mm-hmm. way, like geometrically and kind of player perspective wise, than we yeah. have before. And to have more freedom, because you guys had That's the big true. constraint of it being like having to be kind of a convincing, even though in the right. end it's like a massive, like fake, weird house. Yeah. Like it still has to have some house conventions, yeah, you know? At, at Which arms... Tacoma isn't tied down to necessarily. Right. Yeah, in Gone Home, at least at like arm's length, it has to feel like you're in a house. Yeah. And then, because we couldn't just like take spaces from Tacoma and reskin them to be a house and you're like I'm in a house it's like I'm in hell actually I'm in some sort of nightmare Um, so that's true actually yeah the the geometric uh, uh, freedom of being in like a constructed technological space Mm -hmm. it does like change how you build that that geometry as well Um, so what I mean so what was it like I mean learning the engine is just learning tools mostly But what was it like learning to think as a 3D level designer and to, like, learn, like, you know, like, logic and scripting stuff? Um, I think, I mean, the funny memories for me are, like, when you gave me that reading list before I started and you were, like... I was like, I haven't played Bioshock, lol. And you were like, probably play that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I actually learned a lot just early on, like, going back and playing a bunch of older, you know, immersive sims or, like, 3D um, first-person games or just, like, you know, 3D action-adventure games in general. Um, Like, you know, I learned a lot from playing Dishonored and I learned, like, about, like, you know, playing through the Doctor's House specifically. I remember, like, I always think back to that as, like, a good reference. Yeah. So... There's this one section in the first City Hub uh, level in the first Dishonored that's Dr. Giovanni's apartment mm-hmm. that, yeah, um, Nina and I have both kind of... We, we independently both recognized it as, like, this is such a perfect 
distillation of mm-hmm. like everything that you can do in this game at this point. Yeah. So it, if you're listening to this, if you haven't played the original Dishonored, that's, that part is really early and it's just like a textbook example of a level designer taking every tool in the toolkit and making it into this mm-hmm. very focused single interconnected section of the game. Yeah, but it's anyway. really good. Uh, but I learned a lot, yeah, from just like playing other games. Because, uh, yeah. you know, I had I had sort of the bandwidth to do that at that point and found that kind of thing inspiring at first. And I learned like also let's just like what not to do like the first system shocks like mazes like that's probably not what a tacoma map is gonna look like so i learned all sorts of things <laughs> um but system shock is great but it's great <laughs> the, the the level layouts are maybe a little bit complicated insane. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah just being able to see yeah like the breadth of what level design can mean because I just didn't, I didn't even play that many 3D games before I came to work at Fulbright. Yeah. So it well, was important even, to me to play that stuff. Yeah, even 3D games that you were into don't relate to 3D space mm-hmm. the way that our games or immersive sims or whatever mm-hmm. do. Like a Final Fantasy X or X-2, it's not a 2D game, mm-hmm. but also the three-dimensional space is a totally different relationship yeah. to the player. Yeah. yeah, it's very different. So I learned a lot from that, and then really for me it was a lot of like we did a I did a lot of paper mapping early on, and the process of like making my paper maps um, of for example uh, mechanical engineering was one that I did a lot of early on, uh, and taking those and doing literally like over twenty versions of it, and each <laughs> version taking it first to Tynan and then to Steve. And just showing you guys and, like, getting feedback on it. Yeah. Really, that feedback loop was, I think, what made me learn what level design is at all. Because you were kind of just like, draw a map now. And this is this is the narrative context for it. And these are the rooms we probably want. And I'm very much the type of learner that you know, has to kind of do something over and over yeah. to get a handle on it. Well, so, I think everybody and I did is, that, you, know? you know? Like, yeah. I think that that's true of pretty much mm-hmm. everyone. Sometimes it's just a much larger or longer time scale yeah. than that. Yeah. There's a lot of things that you can't really be like, I'm going to draw two level layouts a day and get right. feedback on them and redraw them and kind of have that dense of mm-hmm. a, a, a process for. It's just funny because I remember, I think, the very first gray block, which is, like, basically just, like, a basic uh, 3D level, like, a a gray sort of blobby representation of a level you set up in Unity before it has any of the cool textures that make it look nice, just like the hallways and the rooms, like their Legos set up. My, yeah. The first time I did that, I made like an Escher horrible <laughs> like ramp space with a, a bunch of huge pillars in it that was super cavernous. And I remember showing oh, it to Tynan, and he was like, this is a little too big. <laughs> Sweet Tynan. Sweet, precious Tynan. And I was just like, I have have no idea. And then, yeah, I quickly, just based on, like, talking to you guys and getting feedback, that's kind of what helped me the most. Yeah, Yeah, I I mean, I'm glad. I I think that that's one of the things that made it possible to have someone with your background and experience level work on a project like this is just that we knew we were bringing you on early enough and that we had another, enough other like experienced people on the team Mm -hmm. that there would be time for you to learn your way into the role so that when Mm -hmm. it's like now we have to put stuff in the final version that you would be there at that point you know because like some projects just don't have the luxury of 
of if you haven't done this three times before, then we just can't even mm-hmm. like invest in that, which you know totally makes sense. Like yeah, budgets real. are an actual yeah. thing, <laughs> um, but you know the flip side is it's really great to have the opportunity to say like we are going to bring somebody new on mm-hmm. and because the thing is like you know it it's a spectrum but like using unity for instance is just learning a software tool set mm-hmm. right it's like learning photoshop yeah. or learning you know xyz um learning a sound editing program or something right but the flip side of it is once you know what the tools are what are you as an individual going to bring to it? You know, it's like mm-hmm. learning an instrument. Like yeah. if you could, if you knew mechanically how to perfectly play the guitar, then what would you do with it? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I think that most people who are like dedicated enough to put the time and attention in could learn to use the tools. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and so finding someone who's, who once they have that skill will bring something unique to to what they do with it is like a really yeah exciting um uh, opportunity to have available and you ended up doing the layouts and the blockouts for two-thirds of the game Mm -hmm. um so most of the stuff that you play in tacoma was um laid out and had the initial build out by nina um, which is, I don't know, which is really cool. Um, hilarious. <laughs> additionally, <laughs> hilarious. Well, I, I really think the only reason that was possible was because I was doing all the paper maps for the first version of Tacoma, right. and then when we decided, you know, that we were going to sort of redo a lot of things from scratch, yeah. including, like, you know, one of the big things we changed was going from fully zero-G levels to levels with microgravity as we have them now. So we basically threw away all of those early levels from the yeah. first version. Of all the stuff that survived, it was mostly, like, fictional concepts, mm-hmm. but none of the playable spaces yeah. from that original version ended up being used. And yeah. I learned... I basically got up to speed on the tech side of things and on level design itself by working on paper maps and gray blocks for that version. Right. And then got, like, had that to work from when we started everything from scratch again. Yeah. And I think that that's why I was able to, like, work efficiently enough and well enough to actually manage that amount of gray blocking of like two thirds of the game or whatever. (laughs) It's because I'd had that time to kind of like prepare for that, I guess. Yeah. Um, So then, so while you were working on that stuff with us, like we had a, I wonder if this is something that made this kind of possible is we had a fairly clear, I think division of labor as far as like, what part of the player experience each of us was responsible for. Mm-hmm. So Carla and I did like the narrative design and writing and I generally placed the like narrative objects to like do the environmental storytelling kind of stuff and you and Tynan did more of the like making the game actually work. <laughs> like like yeah. building the spaces and making the flow feel good scripting. and and scripting putting in AR things. elements and like Right. Yeah. More like interactive AR elements, I mean. Yeah, like yeah. like making AR displays that were interactive yeah. and doing the the actual just like hard work of implementing and tuning things like the AR character scenes actually like being placed correctly mm-hmm. and being usable by the player, all that kind of stuff, right? So, I wonder if because your responsibilities on Tacoma were mostly practical, mm-hmm. if that 
was part of what gave you kind of the mental bandwidth to be like, and I'm going to ship these other games <laughs> where like the concepts for them and the premise and the story and the characters come from my head. Yeah. Uh, I think part of it, part of it, I, honestly, most of it for me was just that I came from grad school where I just had to be working on so many things all at once all the time. Like I had a part-time job at Kickstarter I was teaching classes of code liberation. I was working on multiple games at the same time for grad school. And I had also had that same kind of mentality in undergrad. So I was just kind of trained <laughs> to feel like I had to be working on many things all at once, all the time. Yeah. Or like I wasn't doing enough. So I think actually the big thing for me was just like I hadn't had any reason to stop thinking that way and didn't even really realize I was doing it until it was too late. Yeah. And, you know, part of it was like, you know, I, I worked way less on side projects later in Tacoma when we were really like trying to finish things up, obviously. Yeah. So there was enough mental bandwidth there to a point, but I was like definitely sort of like abusing myself without realizing it because school had trained me to kind of be that way. Yeah. And that's kind of my personality. So I think I'm basically just screwed forever. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the moral of the story. Really? I honestly, like, I, cause I did that talk in South Africa recently at a maze about this. And yeah, that's just kind of like the attitude that I felt like I needed to have initially to like make the jump from poetry to games also was like, I just have to hustle a lot yeah. to catch up with everyone. So I don't know. I just have this like weird mentality that I'm trying to like grow out of and like get more healthy work habits. Cause yeah. I definitely like took on too much while I was also working on Tacoma, but was so dedicated to like not letting that affect my Tacoma work that outside of work, I would like burn myself out right. on side stuff. And obviously by the, you know, Later in Tacoma development, it wasn't as big of an issue, but yeah, when I was working on three things at once, that was pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be hard because you get yourself into that situation and you're like, oh no, now I'm working on three things at yeah. once, but you can't just be like, never mind, I'm going to quit two of them. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could, but like nobody wants to do They're that. They're also like, you know, they were things I'd committed to and I don't want to ever bail on a commitment. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, I don't do that. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about how it's really easy to like get that to have that hustle mentality when you're first getting into something and like not realize when you don't need to do that anymore <laughs> right, <laughs> like, yeah. and yeah. now i'm like yeah now games are my career i work on stuff with you guy with fulbright and i can do some things on the side but like i don't need to be like pushing myself like to just the, like all the time yeah, to yeah, the yeah. absolute limit sure, like i yeah. can go play danganronpa and watch Stranger Things later, and, like, it's okay. Like, I don't have to be working. And that's actually, like... I mean, I, I think, think that's important. Like, yeah, giving yourself permission to not be grinding your gears just constantly is, yeah. like, meaningful, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that. Yeah. Especially coming out of, like, graduate school and stuff, when I think sure. that mentality is kind of encouraged. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Yeah. It's funny. It's like, I go, like, before I was like, vignette games, uh, uh, character-focused games, and now I'm like, I want to give talks about, like, learning how to not work as much. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how the times change. Well, I'm also, old now. <laughs> I think there's also some cool opportunities for for talks that are reflective, you know? Because, mm -hmm, yeah. like, when you know, when you are... 
sort of in that mentality of like, I want to encourage this new kind of thing or like, you know, say like people should do vignette games. I want to get people to learn about this thing that I'm like really excited about kind of like, you know, being cutting edge or something. Flip side of that is when you were talking about doing, you know, 20 versions of your paper maps for a level, I was like, I've, there's an interesting talk of you just like being like, here's what it was like to learn how to be a level designer and my evidence of it. And maybe I can help you, the viewer, like get something out of my process. And that kind of stuff is cool to be able to Mm -hmm. share in a way that is like looking back and curating in a way that's like a little bit more of like drawing from what you already have than being like, you know, yeah, reaching for like higher concepts or whatever. Yeah. 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 I think, it's funny. I feel like, yeah, one of the biggest things that's changed about me as, like, a game designer over the last three or four years is just becoming more practical and yeah. thinking a lot more about scope or, mm-hmm. yeah, like, time spent working on stuff. I think I'm better at cutting features out of my side projects than I used to be. And, yeah, just being, like, how do I sustain things has become more important to me. Yeah. How do I? It used to be. How do I do it? How do, yeah, yeah. How do so. you do it? <laughs> um, yeah, because during Tacoma's development, you shipped, yeah, Kimmy, and that was a commission. That was like a whatever, a humble original yep. thing, and and that was a that was sort of like a visual novel um, format ish mm-hmm. uh, game that also had like a like a playground games theme to it mm-hmm. very narrative driven and then you also did lostmemories.net which was like an like an arts festival commission mm-hmm. uh, which is about building web pages and talking to your friends online and and bum rush and bum rush right which was a, a hookup uh <laughs> kart racer, racer game, game yeah. practically <laughs> um and so like that you know that that's all a lot and then also you were you know shipping our game at the at the same time, um, it just feels like a very intense time in your life, kind yeah. of. <laughs> I'm, like, still shell-shocked yeah, I'll <laughs> from <bet>. it. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Like, but yeah. not in a bad way. Like, ultimately, it's all good, because I learned from all of it. Right. Even though at times it was stressful, like, I can't imagine it having been any other way. Right. Well, and you hosted the IGF Awards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true. Which, if you're listening to this, or you've attended GDC... Maybe you saw Nina with her giant Winnie the Pooh zoom oh, yeah. up on stage <laughs> at the GDC Awards. Or you've seen them tweeting photos of it because they've been doing that and I love it. <laughs> so yeah, like, you know, I, I really respect that you're always trying to, like, contribute a lot or, like, accomplish a lot. But similarly, yeah, it seems like you're getting to a point where you're sort of, like, maybe not as much all the time necessarily well i feel like it's important to also like i don't want to just be someone who's only making like tiny game jam games forever either so part of it's also just evolving and like like you know that's kind of why i wanted to try kimmy which was a visual novel like i always want to try making different kinds of stuff because it keeps it fresh for me too yeah whereas if i keep if I kept trying to juggle like a million small projects forever, then I feel like I'd get kind of bored and like, you know, it's just like good to try a different work process once in a while. Yeah. Um, so now I'm kind of like, yeah, obviously I'm whatever we do next. That's another thing. 
And, you know, the stuff we do is often more long-term, so that's, like, something I've been learning more about. Because even simple, right. that was only, like, a year, which isn't even, like, very long-term. Tacoma was the first long-term thing I did. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I just feel like it's good to have been learning, yeah, that different kind of, like, what's it like to work on a long-term project? Right, like, yeah. What's it like, you know, Aaron and I have been talking about, on the side, making, like, a little mobile game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just... Yeah, I guess I'm less about, like, the hustle of, like, shipping, 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 even though I still think that's kind of a good thing, and more about, like, evaluating. I think it's good to have stuff that you're actually, like, driving towards a visible endpoint of. Yeah, yeah. It's nice not just have a bunch of stuff that's sort of like, someday I'll finish this, or whatever, you know, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, like, just continuously reevaluating my work process is just something I'm trying to become more aware of. And just, like, accepting when I need to, like take time to myself right yeah <laughs> i think a yeah. lot of game developers don't do that right well <laughs> um so yeah tacoma was the first project that you shipped as part of a larger mm-hmm. team and that was yeah like a multi-year kind of like um commercial you know yeah project um i mean what was your experience of kind of like closing that game and like getting it out to the public like because it it's got to be very different from when it's one of your own games mm-hmm. that you're putting out there. Yeah, it was it was definitely weird and different because I feel like well, Sybil was the first commercial game that I did, and right. you were there when that came yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you brought uh, Kalachis over, I believe. <laughs> I did my best. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, that was a big shock because I was like first commercial game, like, oh my God, I'm instantly watching people stream it and I'm like freaking out (laughs) and like having a panic attack. Like, I'm like, what's even happening? (laughs) And so I actually, like that helped me, that experience helped me like when we released Tacoma, I kind of had more of a chill attitude about it where I was like, it's out and I'm actually going to try and not pay attention to that fact. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to be excited about like the release party and sort of the more like personal aspects of releasing a game, like, you know, having more free time to play games and stuff. And like, yeah. I think at that time I started getting into Overwatch. Right. Um, and it's nice because... I don't know. I mean, I'm in a very different position from you because you're still doing business stuff. And I'm like, I actually don't. I have the freedom not to worry too much now, yeah. well, I, <laughs> which I, is very nice. <laughs> yeah. Like I thought back on it. And the thing that I realized is like your experience of shipping Tacoma is likely very much like my experience of shipping Bioshock 2, mm-hmm. where like I was working with the creative director and the executive producer and people who were like were responsible for the project. Yeah. Um, and I was invested in it and I had put two years of my life into it and I had built multiple parts of the game that were kind of like, you know, I was mostly responsible for and, and kind of identified with and all that kind of stuff. But also I do remember it being like, it's out. It got like a good review and an okay review and a not that good review. And like, you know, people are telling me that they played it and like, that's cool. Anyway, yeah, you know, like, like it's sort of like it's okay for you just to be like, oh, I made something and people are playing it. Yeah, that's neat. Uh, I don't have to think about it that much yeah. anymore, you know. And like the diff- and then that's very like, how do I put this? From my personal experience was like shipping Bioshock to Minerva's Den, which also Minerva's Den, I was more like connected to, but I also didn't yeah. have to worry about any of the business aspects of mm-hmm. it. Was like I don't know how many people bought this or whatever. To working on Infinite for a while, not shipping that game, and then shipping Gone Home, where it's like, 
that's our game and we're the people who have to pay attention to yeah. it afterwards and make sure that you know people keep buying it and like plan using that you know like income to what's that mean that we do next and all that that kind of stuff and so then going into Tacoma it was like I was very much in that same position and it took me a minute to realize like oh right that's that's my and Carla's perspective on this game Mm -hmm. but everybody else on the project is more or less in the position I was on when I was on a project that I got to not have to be like sitting on top of and and it's and it's it's just weird because I think that like for me it's easy to project like oh everybody else is as invested in this in the same way I am because we're yeah. all like working on it together, and to some degree there's an aspect of that, but also it, it was nice for me to realize like oh everybody else can be a little bit less like in like invested or like kind of obsessed with this thing now that it's actually yeah. out and like I think that's good for the rest of the team. Yeah, I mean I basically. My approach has been to sit back and be like, wow, I really accomplished something. And that feels really good. And now I can chill out and feel proud of it and, like, get nice people tweeting at me about it. (laughs) And I still get to, like, come into the office and, like, hang out with everyone. So it's cool. Like, it's not like any kind of shutdown has happened. Like, the game is out. You know, like, nothing, no explosion happened of, like, chaos in my life. It was just, like, the game came out. It got nice reviews. People are tweeting at me about it. I'm kind of only half paying attention to Twitter, though, because I want to go outside and do other things. (laughs) And it's like, I can just feel proud of something, which, honestly, I haven't been able to get that feeling from my personal work, because it's so, like, I'm more in a similar position to you with that stuff, where I'm like, I have to pay everyone every month, and, like, I have to do all of the promotion for it, like, even after the game has come out, and blah, blah, and make be more organized about everything yeah and so like for Sybil like I was saying before like I never actually got that feeling of like accomplishment after I shipped it yeah. despite it getting good reviews or whatever people liking it blah 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 like it was like that stuff barely even mattered because I was too busy kind of like worrying about it being out right yeah <laughs> so I totally understand your position and I'm just like like knowing that that is what it can be like which isn't a bad thing or anything it's just like nice to sort of see the other side of it too you know for sure yeah it's weird but good yeah so you don't really know what you're doing next in your personal stuff or you kind of have some ideas but you're not diving straight in yet yeah Aaron and I were both kind of like him and I have done a lot like he also teaches like we both had like a crazy last couple years I think we both know we want to work on another thing together and we basically have like we actually have one idea now that I think we're going to prototype But it's, like, all very slow. We're taking it slow. Because I'm like, I definitely still want to do little weird side projects because that is fulfilling to me. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's not like him and I are trying to, you know, sustain a a life business out of that or, like, an income or anything. It's just kind of like, we do this because we like working together and it's fun. Well, now the cool thing is for you, like, you know, like, you're working for us as far as having a salary. But you also have a couple few different games mm-hmm. that like even if any one of them in a given month doesn't make like a ton of income yeah. it's still like that you it, I, I having more than one game under our roof now i have started to realize kind of like the value of like a back catalog yeah. where it's like oh more than one game can can like 
contribute to the whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, yeah, no matter what the scale is, when you're sort of like, oh, and here's, like, yeah. you know, some people bought Civil, some people bought yep. Kimmy. Like, it's sort of, like, still, you know, part of what you're able to build off of. Yeah. And maybe that also makes it feel a little bit less desperate to have yeah. to be like how do we put something else out you right. know and, and be able to think of it more of like we want to put something out because we want to work together or because mm-hmm. we have a cool idea and that's yeah. that seems nice being able to have a cool idea and act on it feels really good um because you know at any given time we might be working on something and it's like if i have this other idea that i want to like do a prototype of like i can and it's nice to just like get that out of my head and yeah. not just have it sit on the back burner forever right but also you know public image for me is pretty important. Like, I I have a lot of value for being, like, a game designer with a name. Like, you know, kind of like the position you're in. And that's something that I've obviously been working towards for a long time. And I I feel like... you that you're you're a breakthrough game developer, (laughs) according to the Golden Joysticks. I work on my hashtag brand from time to time. baby. Yeah. (laughs) So, being able to keep up with my personal work also helps me kind of maintain that, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I felt a little more relaxed about it recently, what with, like, all the IGF stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a big thing for me, and so I sort of felt like I could take a break yeah. <laughs> for a while after that. Um, but, you know, I'm, n- I'm not going to lie to people and be like, I don't care about that stuff. Like, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, having, having profile, having visibility can open a lot of doors to Mm -hmm. just like opportunities to either work with people or be involved with stuff Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't otherwise or like yeah get invited to like speak at a conference and go to a cool place or something so like or to get people to play your games right yeah i mean like (laughs) all basic need (laughs) yeah all of the above is good and i think and i feel like it, it also can just like involve you in interesting conversations and that can be like the literal kind where like we're having a conversation on tape right now, but also like of kind of like being a part of what's going on in games or in the industry mm-hmm. or in kind of the design discourses, um, you know, for people to kind of like reach out to you for an opinion if there's yep. something interesting going on is like nice to be able to to be a part of a, a community in a way, yeah. you know, um, along with everything else. So yeah, I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a good, it's just always been a helpful way. Like I said, collaboration is super important to me. Like, I never really want to work on anything by myself. Yeah. And so maintaining sort of a profile for myself and visibility opens up a lot of, like, collaboration opportunities, right. too. To be so, like, yeah, if you, go up to, if you go out to somebody and you're like, I'd love to use your art, higher possibility than a lot of people that they've heard of you or your games. And they're like, yeah, oh, that helps. sounds cool. <laughs> you know, like, you're not, you're not coming out of nowhere in... in a lot of cases right so yeah that's cool and that's something i haven't always had and you can find collaborators without that but i'm just like for me that's just opened up a lot of doors like you were saying before and i get excited about that because i've gotten to work with some of my favorite artists and stuff you know and that's always super fun no that's awesome yeah um well, thank you for spending some of your time this evening uh afternoon <laughs> Rain, train, hammer, hellscape. Yeah, we hellscape. had sort of like a whole season, like the season passed <laughs> while we were in here. Sort of like a we, lot of We went sound. through hammer season, yeah. <laughs> downpour season. <laughs> I, I apologize, I had like the sniffles the whole time. We're just like coughing and puking into the mics <laughs> of the whole conversation. <laughs> so yeah, we apologize for this podcast. It's basically what we're trying yeah, to sorry. say. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh... <laughs> 
But yeah, thanks for talking through uh, all this stuff with me, and yeah, uh, I'll look forward to what you do next and what we end up working on together in yeah, the future. We'll talk to you literally in a moment and tomorrow at work. <laughs> <laughs> all right, employee. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I'm not stopping the tape yet, I don't care. Oh, I was going to be like, I want to have a little more whiskey. All right, I'll stop the tape now. <laughs>